Acts chapter 16, verse 29. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage and what it means. I pray that you would help us to see through it and understand through it what worship is to be. May you be glorified in the minutes to come with our attentiveness to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, as I shared with you what I called really bad worship, we looked at those elements that make bad worship bad worship. And so, as I said a while ago, the flip side of that is uh, wonderful worship. And so today's title is The Power of of wonderful worship, the power of wonderful worship. As I was preparing for last week's message, I was able to find a surprising amount of instances in the Bible where worship was terrible. And by the way, good worship and bad worship isn't determined by the congregation or the pastor, it's determined by God. And God shared with them point blank, this is terrible worship. Remember that passage that I shared out of the Old Testament last week where God says, I'm not even listening to you. Um, you pretend to worship me, but your hearts are far from me. So God is the one who decides whether our worship is good or bad. It doesn't matter on our feeling when we walk out. I just didn't feel, I just didn't feel the, the Spirit's presence today, or I feel really good about that worship service. I hope you feel great about it, but it doesn't matter in the end how you and I feel because worship isn't for us, it's for God. And I remember sharing with you that real worship is to God, toward God, for God, and about God. With that, we're going to see today that authentic worship is not complicated. If you're sitting there thinking, all right, what do I need to do? How do I need to do it? And you're going to write 10 points down, and I'm going to give you all these uh, detailed... No, it's not going to happen. There are actually only two points today. We're going to see great worship. And by the way... As there were many examples of bad worship in the Bible, there are also many examples of fantastic worship, God-centered worship, God-approved worship. And so I'm just picking out a couple of passages this morning. They're a thousand years apart in time, uh, but we're going to start here in the book of Acts. We're going to see that, again, authentic worship is not complicated. It's very simple. It can actually be done with no magi magicians you don't need magicians, with no musicians, no preacher, no sanctuary. It can be done in pitch darkness, even while bleeding and in pain. So if they can do it, we can do it. Now, I know it's a little warm today when I walk back into the sanctuary after the baptism. It may be that I'm a little bit damp, but uh, I thought, ooh, it's warm in here. And I went back and sure enough, it's 75 back there. And I thought, oh, 75. We have five air conditioners in this sanctuary, and if any of the five air conditioners are not functioning well, 
uh, then we find out when it becomes 100 degrees or higher, which is today. And so we're going to look at our air conditioners this week. But that's the worst of our problems, air conditioning, as we come to worship today. Paul and Silas had a few more problems than that. So uh, we're going to look uh, right now, if you'll look with me, in Acts chapter 16, we're going to back up to verse 22. I shared with you the results of their worship, and we'll get to that in a minute, and started there, but we're going to look at the backstory now. The crowd joined in the attack. That's not a good way to start the day. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he, threw, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. I want you to notice just a couple things today about Paul and Silas and their worship service. Notice first that Paul and Silas were praying. Well, I can understand in part why they were praying. They should have been praying. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes things are not easy. And sometimes there's just nothing you can do but pray. Now, I won't say that God brings us to these places and God inflicts pain in our life and terrible situations. Sometimes he may do that. I, I know that God loves us and he's willing to do what he needs to do to draw us to him. But sometimes life just happens. Bad things happen. We happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time or we just happen to be the one that, that falls uh, to an illness. Sometimes things just happen. But God can still use those times, even if he doesn't inflict those on us, he can still use those difficult times to draw us to them. Think of it as an opportunity for worship. For Paul and Silas, why was it a good time for them to worship? Well, they were bleeding. They were bleeding because they, were nearly, they had nearly been beaten to death. They were severely flogged, it says, and so their backs were a mess, just all torn up, bleeding probably fairly severely. They were in terrible pain, I assure you. And then it says they were thrown into prison. Now, when it means they were thrown into prison, I don't think it's speaking figuratively. I think it's speaking literally. They were literally thrown in there after being beaten. And remember, Paul's not in great health. He has a thorn in his flesh. We think he was blind, but we don't know for sure. But whatever it was, it was substantial in his life. We don't know because he only mentioned it one time in the Bible. So they're not in a good place, as you and I observe and they can't be happy about their situation or the pain that they're in. I don't know how you feel this morning, but we are not quite as tough as Paul and Silas. As I probably have told you, if I stump my toe, uh, my toe, I need Tylenol PM. As I turn up the air conditioning and sink into my memory foam mattress, 
and sing my favorite song. Uh, it's from Hee Haw. Do you remember the song? I like to share it with you from time to time. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. That's what Paul and Silas could have been singing if the other prisoners were singing. And the Bible says there were other prisoners there. They heard Paul and Silas. The other prisoners might have been singing something along those lines. It's a good song, by the way. But that's not what Paul and Silas were singing that night. And so here they were in agony. And when I say they're in a dark place, I mean that both figuratively and literally. But being in a bad place is often the best place for worship. No one prays while they're unwrapping their birthday presents. We pray when we're hurting, when we're struggling, when we're bleeding in a cell. It tends to focus the mind when we're at a bad place in life. And I don't relish it. I don't look forward to it. And I don't want it for you. But I do see something wonderful in those dark moments of our life that we can come to God in a way that we don't normally come to God. So sincere uh, were they in their prayer, in their singing. And since they were awake, because there's probably no sleeping on that cold slab with their backs all torn up and their feet and probably hands locked in those stocks so that they can't really move, what are they going to do? They start praying. It's a wonderful kind of prayer, I have no doubt. There were no formalities. There was no King James English with them. It was pitch dark so that there were no prayers that they could read or recite. Even if they had something in writing, they couldn't read it because it was dark. So they're just praying from the heart. Simple prayers, probably. I, I suspect God had allowed them to be in this place so that when they prayed, they, they as we say in the world of brisket, they, they, they cut off all the fat. You know what that means. They just had the lean meat left in their prayers. They were probably right to the point when they were praying to God. I would love to have the content of their prayers to God, but whatever they were, it was drawing the other prisoners and even the prisoner guard to consider the truth of the gospel. So I know they weren't whining and complaining about all of their pain. In fact, they never mentioned it here in this passage at all. So it was a wonderful kind of prayer. It was direct. It was sincere. It was from the heart. That's what God wants for you. Just prayers from the heart. You don't have to be a theologian or a pastor. You don't have to be a big leader in church. Just pray. Sincere. From the heart. That's all God wants. Nothing fancy. God has never been impressed by elaborate vocabulary. Just pray. Remember that wonderful call of God back in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is as the temple was being dedicated, and I love this passage. God says, if my, these are the words of God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. 
That's a beautiful passage. And again, I probably bring that up once or twice a year just because it's so important to you and me here in the 21st century in Hazel, Texas of all places. It is a proactive passage. It's an opportunity, an offer for God, from God to his people. And God is saying, look, you've got this temple. As you're moving forward as a nation, as my people, let me give you this opportunity, this chance. He says, if you'll do this, I'm going to do this. And so he gives them this beautiful lesson on worship. And notice the characteristics of their worship and the results of their worship. And he says, if you do this and this, I'll do this. Before we look at what they're supposed to do, I want you to look at the results. When you and I come into worship, what do you hope the results of our worship are? When you walk out those doors, when I walk out those doors, what, are, what, are, what is it we hope is going to happen? Well, God shares with them. If you do what you're supposed to do, you, you worship me in the right way, let me tell you what's going to happen. First of all, God says he'll listen. He says, then I will hear from heaven. That's a, a way that God uses to say, I'm going to listen to what you have to say. I'm going to listen to your prayers. When you and I pray, do you not hope that God listens? And by listen, what do we mean? That God responds. You know, when my kids tell me they want to go to Brahms for ice cream, they don't want me to just say, yeah, I'm listening. What they want me to say is get in the car. <laughs> they want me to respond. And when we pray something to God, we want God to respond to us. We, that's what the Bible is referring to when, it, when God says he will listen to you. Then will I hear from heaven? I'm going to respond to what you're saying. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. What do you think powerful and effective means? What it means is God answers the prayer. God will listen. God will answer prayer. Secondly, we see that God will forgive. It's immediately in that passage when God says to them, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, there's that word prayer, and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. I'll wipe it out. Whatever, whatever has happened in your life, whatever you have in your life and in your heart, whatever deed that you've done, whatever word that you've said that has caused people to unfriend you, that caused you trouble and anguish and hurt in your life and in your relationships, whatever it is, God says, I want you to know, I will forgive it and forget it. Fresh start. That's what he was offering the Israelites and that's what he offers you and I through Christ. In prayer, God forgives. In Luke chapter seven, a sinful woman came to Jesus. She didn't know what to do. She was broken. She's in a dark place in her life as well and she knew it. She was in rock in the, in the place of hitting rock bottom. And so she goes to Jesus, she's crying on his feet, and then she wipes her tears off of his feet to wash his feet with her hair. Do you remember that? You remember what Jesus said? Your sins are forgiven. In Mark chapter two, a paralytic was lowered in a hole, through a hole in a roof in order to be healed. And remarkably, around all of those people, Instead of saying you're healed, what did Jesus say? 
Your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus knew with the woman and with the man who was a paralytic that the greatest problem in their life wasn't their physical issue or their profession. The problem was sin in their life. And he wanted to free them of that. When I lose sleep, when you lose sleep in our life, usually it's because of something dumb we said or did. Or it's because of sin in our life, our own or someone else's sin. It causes us anxiety. It causes problems of all kinds in our life. And God says, I will wipe it away if you'll worship me and ask. So God says he will listen, he will forgive. And then he says this, he says, I will heal your land. Now what he means is I'm going to cause you to prosper in your land. You'll have crops. And we think, oh, what, what do we care about crops? You know, if there's a drought over here, we just get them from Mexico or we import them from wherever. They didn't have a Mexican import of great crops. They just died if their crops didn't produce. And God tells them apparently, not apparently, clearly that their sin is somehow connected to their land. And I know I've told you this before, here in the United States, our biggest problem isn't climate change because of your big pickup polluting, which it probably does. Our biggest problem isn't climate change. Our biggest problem is a lack of repentance before God. It affects our land. It's just going to. We can get rid of all the fossil fuels tomorrow. We can have a perfectly green world and all energy were perfectly green. Listen, this world would still be a mess literally, physically, it'd be a mess if we're not repentant before God. I believe that. He created it all, and he makes this connection between our rejection of him and the land. So God will listen, he'll forgive, and he'll restore our land. Of course, you and I are like the prodigal son that came home, and the father celebrated and loved and fully restored him. You and I are like Lazarus that died but he was recreated, restored, and brought back to life. And then here's the condition. If you want to know the condition, he says, I'm going to do these great things for you if. And here's the heart of worship. He says, first of all, if you humble yourselves. There is no worship without humility. If you came in today thinking, eh, I don't really need this. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Yeah, it's okay. Listen, God's not going to touch you with a 10-foot pole. It's humility. And Paul and Silas were brought to a place of humility. I mean, they're probably wearing rags at this point. If they're wearing anything at all, they were probably stripped when they beat them. They're bloody. They have nothing. Nobody knows that they're there, as far as I know. Uh, there's, there's no uh, team to come in and take care of their wounds. There's no... Uh, late night dinner for them waiting in the cell. They're in, they're in that place. A place of humility. If they're not going to be humble here, they will never be humble. I remember the old story, and I know I've told you this probably before, but the guy who came to his pastor and said, Pastor, I have a, have a problem. I have a besetting sin. He says, every time I come into the church for worship, I can't help but notice I'm the best looking guy in the room. <laughs> I know I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't think that, he says. But every Sunday I come in and I look around and I go, yeah, 
Man, I'm, I'm way better looking than these guys. And I, I want you to help me deal with it. And the pastor replied, friend, don't worry about it. In your case, it's not a sin. It's just a horrible mistake. In 1775, our founding fathers sensed the need for a call to fall before God as the Revolutionary War was looming. In view of the monumental struggle that we were engaged in with Britain, and we think of fighting a war now in the United States in all of our military superiority and all of our technology and 300 million strong and the size of our military branches, there was none of that during the Revolutionary War. We're just a bunch of farmers, poorly equipped, poorly dressed, trying to fight for our lives and our families, knowing that there was a very good chance that they would all die. So what does our government do? They have the wisdom to do exactly the right thing and come before God. In fact, in the midst of that struggle, the First Continental Congress, that is, our Congress called for a day of public humbling, fasting, and prayer. Now, wouldn't that be wonderful if our Congress this week said, you know what, we, we are encouraging the United States and all of its 300 million citizens to humble themselves and fast and pray. And so on July the 20th of 1775, they published that edict just after war broke out. James Warren wrote Samuel Adams and he said these famous words. Three million people on their knees at once, supplicating to the aid of heaven, is a striking circumstance and a very singular one in America. May the blessings of heaven follow in answer to our prayers. And God did just that. Well, Paul and Silas were certainly in a humble place. A severe beating, a dark cell, we'll do that. I'm pretty sure their prayers were most sincere. Whatever they said in their prayers, a monotone, God is good, God is great, let, him, let us thank him for this food, amen, was not among their words. They were pouring it out, I guarantee you. Real prayer, authentic prayer, heartfelt, sincere, humble, passionate prayer. That's what God wants to hear from you and me. And that's what he heard from them. That is the heart of worship. Secondly, the first they prayed. Secondly, what else did they do? One, only one other thing. Did you catch it? They sang. They started singing. These two guys. Now, I don't know if they were tone deaf or great singers. I have no idea. It doesn't say I don't know what their volume was, but I do know they were singing loud enough for the other prisoners to hear them. But I don't know anything else, but I do know that the content of their songs, it says they were singing hymns to God. They were worshiping God through song. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12 says this, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Ephesians 5.19 says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. James 5.13, I love this one. It says, if any one of you, is any one of you in trouble, he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Now, both of the elements of worship are there. 
there is prayer and then there is singing, but the context of the call to sing, if you're, if you're in trouble, pray, but you should sing if you're what? Happy. So Paul and Silas, how can they be happy? They're bleeding, but they are. They're genuinely happy because they're bleeding for their savior. They're bleeding for their faith and they know it. They don't even know the miracle that God is about to do. And it is a strange miracle at that. But they started singing. David was good at worship. This is a thousand years before Paul and Silas. He was great with sincere worship. In Psalm 63, for example, he says this in verse 2. I have seen you in the sanctuary. He's just pouring out his heart to God. And beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the riches of food and singing lips. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Now, of course, I know, again, I've shared this passage with you too. It's the uh, last statement that he makes. My soul will be satisfied as the riches of foods. He, he says spiritually, he's, God satisfies him as much as rich food satisfies him physically. I get that. We get that. We're good with rich food. I just got back from the Philippines. If you guys travel, and I encourage all of you as much as you can to travel to other countries. And I've always said this because traveling to another country will help you to realize how great you have it here. But one of the things I notice, and this is almost, not every, but almost every country I go to, and I eat a meal in a local restaurant, the first thing I think is, where's the salt? There's no salt in this food. I can't taste it. Why isn't this deep fried? This would be so much better deep fried. And why is there any cheese on it? Don't they know what cheese is in this country? We know what rich food is. That's why it's killing us all. Because... No matter what it is, yeah, we'll get some good old greasy something, some kind of meat, and roll it up in, in a thing of cheese, and then roll that up in some sort of flour tortilla thing, and then batter it and fry it and put cheese on top of that. Yeah, oh, I'm getting hungry thinking about it. But So David is saying, you know, when I worship God spiritually, it's like that for me. It's like rich food. I just... I just love being in God's presence. Isn't that wonderful? So what was the result of Paul and Silas worshiping God in that dark cell? What was the result of their praying and their singing? Well, a miracle happened. And it may be one of the strangest miracles in the Bible. Now, it starts off, it sounds like a normal miracle. What happens? The, the, the jail, uh, there's a big earthquake. The, all of the cell doors open up. And all of their, their stocks and their, their, their chains fall off. Now, even in an earthquake, you can kind of understand how the doors might open, although all of them opening would be a strange thing. But no amount of earthquakes going to make their chains fall off. That's just purely directly the hand of God. Now, here's the weird thing about the miracle. Because what, what does that mean? By the way, first of all, if you're in a prison cell and all the doors open and your chains fall off, what does that imply? Freedom. Oh, we're out of here. Boom. 
I mean, that happened in other places in the New Testament, and that's what they did. They bolted right out. In fact, one time they followed an angel out of there. That meant you're, you're free. That's not the purpose of this miracle, strangely enough, we're going to see. But not only does that happen, I can only imagine, I can just guess, if I was there, you were there, and we were praying for a miracle, and God opens the doors, would you not say, all right, that's amazing, God. Thanks a lot for that. Okay, hear me out. When I said miracle, I was really hoping you would stop the bleeding. <laughs> I was really hoping you'd help this pain. Is that not what you would pray? I think I would be praying for that miracle because when we're in pain, we want the pain to stop and we go to God. Instead, they hear the door swinging open. <laughs> they say, well, okay, that's good too, I guess. Uh, and then I don't know what Paul and Silas were told, what God led them to do or why they did it, but they didn't leave. They saw an opportunity. I can only assume the Spirit of God shared this with them. And the opportunity was to bring the jailer to faith in Christ. So they stayed right there where they were. And as you know, most of you, what the law was, what the rule was, he was guarding them with his life. Literally, when you hear that term, guard them with your life, that's where it comes from. Because if they escaped, it was, it was the life of the jailer that was in jeopardy. In fact, he would be executed. He knew that. So when all the jail, when he brought in the lights, all the cells opened, he knew it was his life. So he wouldn't be executed in embarrassment. He pulled his sword to take his own life. And that's when Paul said, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. There's no reason logically for them to be there, but they're all there. It shook him up. Immediately, what does they say to him? I want to get saved. Well, whatever you've got going with your God, I've been listening to the singing. I've been listening to the prayers. And you got my attention now. I'm ready to believe whatever you believe. Tell me what to do. And not only he, but his whole family got saved that night. When God's people worship, others tend to come to faith in Christ. Roger Bennett, who was a well-known pianist and songwriter, died in 2007. Prior to his death, he wrote this on his website. Now, I don't know what your last words will be, but these were among his last words. He says this. He's a Christian man, of course. Our enemy stalks us exactly the way the Bible describes as a roaring lion. He hides in the bushes waiting for any sign of weakness. Then he strikes. He didn't strike me physically. He struck a more critical part, my joy, my confidence, and my hope. Every thought turned toward heavens, towards heaven bounced back like it was made of brass. Every time I tried to look on the bright side, I ended up imagining a dark future. Then he threw his most effective dart, speaking of Satan, his most effective dart, doubt. You call yourself a Christian. What a hypocrite. You are more afraid than ever, more filled with despair. So much for your faith, Mr. Gospel Singer. I believed everything he said. I tried everything I knew to pull out of it. I thought if I dozed off, it would pass, but the clock seemed to move in slow motion. Sleep was nowhere near. I tried to lose myself in the Bible, but the words blurred and I couldn't make sense of them. Then Bennett had an epiphany as he thought about Paul and Silas in prison. They didn't despair, he wrote. 
They sang praises that became their weapon. Bennett said, one after another, old songs came to me and I sang them to my empty room. It wasn't a great performance, but it may be the most powerful blessing I have ever received. The psalmist wrote, my mouth is filled with your praise all day long. Songs in the night work wonders. So today, sing, pray, worship. It doesn't need to be fancy prayers or perfect singing, but it does need to be humble. It needs to be, to be from your heart. It needs to be repentant. And it needs to be to and toward and for God. And when he's praised, chains break. Freedom is given. And people are drawn to God. Pray with me. Father, we come to you right now. And sometimes we admittedly make worship too complicated. There's so much on the order of service and so many things to do and this and that and such and such. And really what you want to hear from us are sincere prayers and songs of praise. That's all. So, Father, today, I pray that you would help us through your spirit to do that. You created us. Not because of us. It, it is just your character to create. You're a loving God, and out of your love, you create. You made us because you loved us and you saw us going in the wrong path in our life. You see the pain that we inflict upon ourselves, the sin that entangles us. And that's not why you made us. And you want us to be free of that. You made us because you love us and you want us to love you back. Not too complicated. And so, Father, because of your love and because of your mercy in our life, you call us to worship you. You're worthy of that. We don't comprehend you. We don't understand how you can be as old as you are, as wise as you are, as powerful as you are. But we acknowledge your existence. And we know there's some connection between us because we are created in your image. We are drawn to you. Every nation in this world worships Big ones, little ones, rich nations, poor nations, we worship you. Every culture, as diverse as they are, there are people there that worship and glorify you. Every generation, since the very beginning, the day of Adam and Eve, all the way through the ages, every generation thinks they've outgrown you, and yet every, every generation has worshiped you. There's a reason for that. In our little bubble that we live in, in this country, in this generation, we think odd thoughts about our advancement and our lack of need for you. And we claim science as our guide or our president or our government as our guide or a Supreme Court or whatever. We always find something. 
But the truth is, you are the creator and we are the creation. And you're worthy of our praise. We can do that through prayer and through song. Not difficult, not complicated. We come to you humbly today. Thank you for life. We get lost in it sometimes. We mess up. It gets complicated here. But it's still a wonderful gift. Even though we mess it up, it's still a great gift. You've given us life. Give us today. We woke up today. Many people didn't. We did. And even though it's hot outside, the sun is shining, and we don't have it too tough. We woke up in our air-conditioned house. We drove in our air-conditioned car to an air-conditioned church, and then we're about to go to an air-conditioned restaurant. That's not too bad. We're not suffering too bad. Father, you're so good. More than that, you give us a reason to be here. You're willing to forgive us and free us. May the shackles of our sin fall off right now in the name of Jesus. May we live a life of hope and joy as we praise you. No one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning to spend just a few moments praising God in prayer? You might want to come and get on your knees, and we're going to sing in a minute, but right now you might want to come and get on your knees and praise God. Just say thank you. We're right where you are. God, thank you. Forgive me. Help me come to you. I'm reminded of all the ways that you are wonderful and all the joyful things you've put in my life. Thank you. Every good thing comes from you. Thank you. As David said, like the richest of foods, so you are spiritually to me. Thank you. Would you stand? No one's looking around. All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. And as you stand, as you pray right now, this opportunity is for you. Maybe you want to come and join with First Baptist and serve God here and just come down and say, Pastor, I'd like to join. Or maybe you want to give your life to Christ and follow him. You know you haven't done that. This is your opportunity. God is giving you the chance, the opportunity right here, right now. Or maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray. If God is leading right now, you come.